The people in the synagogue twice refer to the idea of authority and say that Jesus has authority, uh, but they use this word in two different ways. I'm going to call the first one persuasive. Things he says make sense. They resonate. And then the coercive. He speaks to demons and they obey him. Uh, one type of authority is befitting for rational creatures and the other for irrational creatures is the other thing I'm going to argue. But I want to say, first of all, that this word of authority is one we're ambivalent about, many of us. Uh, I grew up in the immediate aftermath of the Watergate scandal, and for a couple of decades at least after that, one would frequently hear uh, that the United States was suffering from a crisis of authority. The perception is that voters have a right to expect that presidents will work for the common good and not for personal gain or in service of a cabal of special interests. Now, according to our political system, though, uh, the president has authority just by virtue of his office. So he can do certain things because there's a power invested in him or her. And this doesn't depend on the person's personal integrity. It, it simply flows from the taking of the oath of office after a certified election process. So the crisis of authority is not a question of whether a president can do what is legally his to do. It's a question of whether we ought to accept his or her decisions in good faith. It's a question of whether the authority is persuasive, if it resonates with what is good, uh, rather than simply being uh, something we've agreed to be coerced by. Now, the real victim in this crisis is the body politic, as you might expect our political discussions become more and more polarized. This is in large part because one half of the voters at any time will be inclined not to accept the moral authority of the president, the authority of the president as representing our common life together as citizens. And this leads to suspicion of those who do accept this authority in some way or other. Uh, and so uh, there is a climate of fear and hostility between the two sides. These are not the best conditions for national flourishing. There's a second deeper casualty of the crisis of authority, and that is the belief in objective truth. This comes about because each of us individual, individually, when we try to determine the truth of something, we must rely on others. We have to rely on those whom we trust to correct us when we misapprehend a situation or to give us advice when we can't see all sides of an issue. So that means we have to be able to listen openly and trustingly to others who have different points of view. And we have to be open to the possibility of being wrong and to admit that others' perspectives are, are correct or more correct than ours. And bringing in this idea of truth suggests that actually the crisis of authority goes back a long ways. It's not just something that happened since 1973. Rather, it's kind of built into modernity. It has its roots in events like the Reformation or the French Revolution, uh, events where there was a big crisis of authority that went hand in hand with the crisis of truth. And the analogous situation that we experience in the church, uh, again, has even graver consequences. And the question arises then, what is my relationship to church authority? How do I understand it? How do I feel about it? Uh, the modern crisis of truth and authority, I think, tempts us with two possible options that are less than satisfactory. 
we can just distrust all authority and just go along with just the coercive part. Well, you know, the bishop has the right to tell me to do this, so I have to do it. My religious superior has the right to tell me to do this, so I have to do it. But I don't have to trust him. I don't have to believe him, that he's acting in my good, in my interest. Uh, he has institutional position, therefore he can coerce me. Uh, but that's all. Obviously this is, it's workable, but it's not very ideal. The other possibility is to go all the way to the other side and just say, like, I trust that church authority will always speak in the name of God, and therefore whatever is said, I'll just go along with it even if I don't understand it, and I don't even have to try to understand it, because that's the whole point, is that it's just coercive again. So in both cases, the authority is merely coercive, it's not persuasive. And that means it doesn't stem from a felt sense of the truth. You know, we don't feel the resonance of what's being said. That, that it persuades us to say, yes, that, that makes sense. That's rational. That's true. This is the kind of teaching authority Jesus had for the people in the synagogue. He speaks the truth. He speaks something that's persuasive, that, that resonates with the best impulses that I recognize in myself. So that's, uh, that's the kind of authority we, we want to see in our authority figures, right? Um, now, this second option I mentioned, the one where we trust church authority, whatever happens, is uh, preferable to the first one. Uh, it at least preserves, theologically, the mediation of the church between ourselves and God. And that's uh, something we say in virtue of the Incarnation, in virtue of our baptisms, that the church is the body of Christ and therefore speaks with the voice of Christ. And so a kind of fideistic uh, understanding of this at least preserves that. But again, I think... In the best of our tradition as Catholics, we can go deeper than that. So, what can we do to remedy this situation? And the first step, of course, is in today's gospel, which is the whole reason I'm telling you all this. Jesus of Nazareth speaks and acts with authority. Both senses of authority are demonstrated. So he has moral authority when he teaches, he speaks the truth, uh, as the, you know, the centurions say, uh, or the, the, the soldiers say to the centurion, we've never heard anybody speak like this. Yeah, he really persuades us. Uh, this flows from his personal integrity, his knowledge of the truth. He is the truth. But let's also notice that he does have the authority to, co to coerce. He can speak to the demons and say, you must leave this person, and they do. Uh, so Jesus is the word of God incarnate. He is the authority the root of all authority, effective authority in the church and elsewhere, we hear. Uh, even civil authority derives its authority from God, and that's to say from Jesus Christ, the truth. And this is because uh, Christ is the authority because he is the truth, and we know that the truth liberates. It sets us free to be loved, to know ourselves as loved, and this gives us confidence then to act as free and rational persons. In Jesus Christ, each of us discovers that his or her lovableness flows from the truth of our being. We were made to be lovable, and we are. So this revelation of God as love reveals the truth about ourselves as loved and the authority that the hearers perceive in the teachings of Jesus Christ is this resonance, as I said, with the best impulses we have in ourselves. 
The best hopes we have for ourselves and for others in our relationships with, with our families, with our friends, with our enemies, with God, uh, our Lord speaks to that, uh, uh, fans into flame these impulses that are lying dormant oftentimes in us. We have a hunger for truth, and, and our Lord satisfies this by the beauty of his message. So if we wish to overcome the twin problems uh, of suspicion of authority and a kind of over-reliance on coercive authority, the first step is to rediscover every day the gospel message, the voice of Jesus Christ inviting our trust. And out of this encounter, this hearing of his message, of his teaching, we are set free to take the risk of loving others and trusting others including those vested with authority. This will help us, by the way, to identify uh, when to be wise as serpents when it comes to authority, too, because we all know in this world, authority, it will sometimes act in its own interest. That's just how it is until the end of time. But when we open ourselves up to this possibility of trust and love of others, uh, this will have a snowball effect, because as I mentioned at the beginning, our crisis of truth is related to a crisis of trust. If I can't trust others to correct me, I'm stuck with my own version of truth, with my own limited partial version of the truth. But when I trust others and we can come to an agreement, we can see the truth together, then my love for the truth grows because I know it more and more. And if I love the truth more and more, I love Jesus Christ more and more. Before I end this homily, I wish to say one last word about coercive authority because our Lord does display this, and I said it's a kind of irrational authority. It's what happens when we're dealing with a situation that's not rational, and that's why all we have is coercive authority today because we don't have a rational political discussion going on. Uh, this requires coercive authority, and our Lord directs it not at human beings. He directs it at the demons. Demons are a kind of concretizing of harmful thought patterns, thought patterns that then take on a life of their own. They are messengers and memes of the culture of death. And as such, they worm their way into our minds and hearts, and they make us suspicious, self-enclosed, resentful, and so on. And when we rehearse these harmful patterns of thought and allow them to deter determine our behavior, we get stuck and we're no longer free. Uh, we need deliverance. We need a savior. And I'm not restricting myself right now to extreme cases of demonic possession, but that happens. Okay? We've all known persons who are just sort of stuck in harmful thinking. They can't seem to figure their way out of it. And we know how hard it is to crack through that resentment uh, when we encounter it in others and in ourselves. Perhaps we've been there. Maybe some of us are there right now, stuck in a pattern of harmful thought. But we don't know how to get out of it without opening ourselves up to being further hurt and betrayed by others. And these are the demons that Christ comes to command. Say, get out. So let's ask ourselves, as we come up on Lent now, where am I stuck right now in my life? And will I invite Christ then to speak to my hurts, to my resentments, to my fear and suspicion, and allow him to drive those demons out. And let us pray then for our deliverance from every evil, that by our peaceful sanctity of life, we may provide a witness to the truth 
and a witness to love before a needy and broken world.